0: Welcome to another episode of million dollar stories where we get to interview authors from all over the world. And, uh, I'm very excited about this one simply because this guy has some ties to Pittsburgh where I live and we could probably talk about that for the next 45 minutes. However, we're going to talk about his, I guess you could say one of his three books. Um, he wrote a book recently called not less than everything. One man's quest for spiritual enlightenment. And I'm in a lot of circles with millionaires and potentially some billionaires. And I noticed the ones who have their spiritual side, uh, in order, seem to be the most successful and happiest overall. And I think this is crucial for anybody out there, whether you're starting a business or maybe you have a business, um, but to get your spiritual side intact is crucial. And it's an honor to have you here, August Turek. Thanks so much for being here, man. Thank you very much. Glad to be with you. Well, why did you write this book? I guess it really does stem from your first two, the first two, I guess, Brother John, a monk, a pilgrim and the purpose of life, and his other one, which uh I was going to interview him about, but it's this is 2014. Still a very relevant book. Business Secrets of the Trappist Monks, One CEO's Quest for Meaning and let me see here. Authenticity. Authenticity. There it is. So <laughs> let's start off with this new one. Why did you write this book?
1: Well, you know, uh it's kind of like um and let me circle around and tell you about all the all the books at one time. Uh, first of all, I never had any plans to be an author. Um, and what happened was back in the—I've uh, always been a spiritual person. I went to the University of Pittsburgh and actually dropped out of the University of Pittsburgh after three years. Later, I came back and finished. But— um, in order to study Zen under a a crazy West Virginia hillbilly Zen master. And I traveled around the country and and spirituality. Many people think that I am a businessman who happens to have an interest in spirituality, completely backwards. I've been a spiritual seeker all my life who happens to have done a, had a a tremendous career in business. Um, And what I'm all, you made the point already, which is I call it in my first book, Business Secrets, of the Trappist Monks. Aim past the target. You know, in sports, we're always told to aim for the back of the cup if you're putting. If you're gonna trying a free throw, aim for the back of the rim. Aim past Love what it. you're trying to accomplish. So, you know, um, so you need a mission in your life that is bigger than making money or being successful. Or getting promoted or something, you need something bigger in your life than that. And business in a uh, business secrets in my other book, Brother John, got a lot of people say, "Wait a second, you know, you're you drop a lot of hints about your life and life stories and how you got in, but you know, you've had this fascinating life." You know, could you fill it all out? So I decided that I would like to, after all these people say, you're a great storyteller, you've got all these stories, Where where are they written down? Well, they weren't. So I decided to do what I call my spiritual memoir. So not less than everything, one man's quest for spiritual enlightenment is my spiritual memoir. But to circle back, what happened was that when I was an entrepreneur, um, you know, I have a business career. I was one of the founders of MTV. Uh, I, I was one of the founders of what's now the AE Network in New York. I eventually came down here to North Carolina, got into the software business, eventually became an entrepreneur, eventually started a company on 2,500 bucks and sold it for millions of dollars. Oh. <laughs> and that's that story is in business secrets of Travis Monks. Um, but I always maintained my spiritual connection. And I was coaching a bunch of college students, and. Uh, at Duke University on spiritual stuff. I was doing it pro bono. I was doing it for free. I was doing it evenings. Um, The kids didn't get credit for it. It was all volunteer. And um, it was very rewarding. And these kids one time said to me that there was a contest. This was like 2004. They said, there's a contest um, that you got to enter. It's an essay contest you know uh, i said oh, i never written anything before in my life except business and papers and stuff and said, no, no no you got to do it you're always telling us to go for it go for it you got to go for it so they hounded me about it so i looked it up it was sponsored by the templeton foundation it's called the power of purpose essay contest mm. in 3,500 words or less you had to answer the question what is the purpose of life
0: Great <laughs> uh, question i and
1: you no know, it gets more interesting because it was open to previously published material professional writers it was international and had been going on for 18 months and i had a week maybe 10 days you know uh to to to, to the deadline uh so i sat down and i you know under duress and trying and i wasn't getting anywhere another one of my students said why don't you just write that story about brother john that you're always telling us from the monastery, that Christmas story about Brother John. So I thought, wow, that's a great idea. So I wrote that story down and ta- said, here's how Brother John taught me the purpose of life through an encounter on Christmas Eve in 1996. And uh, and I got it in right at the deadline, forgot all about it. And six months later, they called me and said, I won $100,000. I won 100000 <laughs> I won the $100,000 grand prize. There were 10,000 essays from 47 countries uh, submitted to the uh, to, to the contest, and they pe- chose me for the grand prize winner. And you know, and the reason I'm, I'm, I, wanna, I wanted to mention all this, because that led later to me then, one weekend, I just sat down one weekend and said, I don't got anything better to do. And I'm gonna, I wrote a white paper on why I thought uh, monks were so darn good at business Even though they don't care about business, they only work four hours a day. They stay silent. Their average age is 65, yet everything they do uh, turns to gold. Why is that? So I wrote this thing. I thought it was a white paper. I sent it to some friends. I get a call from Forbes magazine. We love this. We'd like to publish it. But we're going to publish it as a four-part article because it wasn't designed to be an article. And I said, okay. Wow, I was excited. So they published it. It went viral. And then they said, well, How would you like to be a contributor and write for us for Forbes magazine oh, on, on leadership? So I became, and then I got a call, a telephone call from Columbia Business School. How would you like to turn this book, this, this article, Business Secrets of the Trappist Monks, into a book called Business Secrets of the Trappist Monks? So all of this stuff is what I call happy accidents, that real success is the byproduct. Of living your life for something higher than business. Of, you know, the whole time that I was coaching these college students, and I did it at North Carolina State. I did it at um, University of North Carolina. I did it at Duke. I did it at my own house. Everybody, oh, you mean you're not getting paid? You mean you're not on the faculty over there? You mean those kids don't, you know, what are you doing that for? What's in it for you? What are you getting out of it? Well, one of my students was the one who introduced me to Mepkin Abbey. And because I went to Mepkin Abbey, I met Brother John. And because I met Brother John, one of my students told me to enter an essay contest. And because I entered an essay contest about Brother John, I won $100,000. And that launched me my career in business. One of my students is the one that suggested the topic for my essay. Guess what? It came back to me a million times over in a way I couldn't possibly have imagined. And... And the answer to the question that it runs through all three of my books, what is the purpose of life? Why are we here? We are here to be transformed from selfish to selfless people. And the more successfully you forget your selfish motivations, the more successful you will become. So true. It is in your own self-interest to forget your self-interest. And um, this is the thing that I pound away at. And it's not that, let's go back to business now. I mean, I also had a uh, very, very, I love sales. I had a very successful career as a salesman. And I was good enough that I was actually on the cover of Selling Magazine, one featured on Selling Magazine one time. And every great salesman knows um, that the more he forgets about his product, forgets about his commissions, forgets about his quota, instead fanatically focus on helping his customer the more sales he makes the easier it is to make his quota the more the more product he moves but he has to genuinely be fanat- fanatically interested i wrote my as for forbes magazine i was a leadership contributor i did it for six or seven years i haven't been doing it recently but anyway what I kept coming back to is that everybody wants to be a leader. Why? Because they want to get ahead, because they want to be promoted, because they want, you know, they want to win friends and influence people. No. The reason why you, your job as a leader is not to get yourself promoted, it's to get other people promoted. The more you fanatically concentrate on seeing how you can get your people promoted, guess what happens to you? you get promoted faster. The more you forget about your own desire to get promoted, the more you forget about climbing the corporate ladder yourself and instead can uh, work on helping other people get ahead, the faster you get ahead. And this applies to a corporation too. The more a corporation forgets about profit and instead concentrates on serving the customer, the more profit it makes. This is aiming past the target. And the problem that most of us have in in business is that we have goals, but we don't have a mission. There's all the difference in the world between having a goal that I want to be a millionaire. That's a goal. A mission is what is your life all about? Yep. What are you? What do you? What do you get out of bed in the morning? For? What do you really? What do you really all about? Um, one of the unique i talk about by the way in my most recent book uh i I mentioned it in business secrets but i get into it more deeply in my in not less than everything is i had a rare opportunity um to be the live-in protege of the man who founded the ibm executive school i lived in his house with him and his family he was retired at that time And every day he would tutor me one-on-one on on all the things that he did between 1956 and 1966 at the IBM Executive School that uh, turned IBM into the most successful corporation in the world in the 60s and 70s. And he used to thunder at me and pound it into me. He said, the most important question every executive must answer, both for himself and for his organization, what is the business of the business? What business are we really in? Mm -hmm. And what really fascinated me about this is because in my spiritual journey, I realized that the most important question is, who am I? Who am I? You know, and I realized that when you ask the question in business, what is the business of the beast? You're really saying, who are we? Why do we come together every day? Why do we come to this building and this office rather than some other building and some other office? Why these 10 or 20 or 100 or 5,000 people rather than some other 100 or 10 or 5,000? What are we in business? What is our mission? What's the mission? And the mission is not to make a profit. As Mobley used to say, profit is the yardstick you use to measure whether you're accomplishing the mission or not. Hmm. But a mission is something that is, by its very nature, not you know accomplishable. It's a it's it's you know for example, I always felt like, um, in Brother John, the essay that I wrote that became the book, Brother John, I said um, people talk about we don't oh either a that that the purpose of life is relative, and so we all have our own and you know different strokes for different folks, or um, there is no purpose to life. I said, no. I said, deep down inside, we all know that we're here for the exact same reason. And that's to become the best human being we can possibly be. That's great. And that's a mission because it's open ended. You know, you're never going to be the best human being you can possibly be. It's a mission that you will that you work you'll work on for your whole life. And um, you know, and I'm always pounding away at that. I mean, who is that um he's that great um, Zig, no, it's not Zig Ziglar. Jim Rohn
0: yeah, Nightingale?
1: No, not Zig um oh God, oh, I I would I'll think about him in a minute. He's written all these books, but he said the one of the Yes. He said one of the great things that really shocked him and really um Rocked his world. He said when he was a young man, he sat down with this mentor, and the mentor said to him, he said, um, what are you doing for personal development? You know, what is, what is, your, what is your personal development? And he said, I realized I re- wasn't really doing anything. You know, and if you look back in the ages of, of um, George Washington or John Adams, um, both of those guys, for example, kept lists in their pockets of things they were working on to improve themselves. Think, something like George Washington thought that a, a gentleman should be able to dance well. So that was one of the things, you know. Um, John Adams thought that a, a gentleman should be able to speak French, you know, so he's working on that. You know, it's so what was the goal here? The goal was not to, to become rich or to become president. It was to become what they used to think, what they called a gentleman. And that's that's kind of a, a mission statement. But I wrote an article for Forbes called What Every Leader Must Know About Personal Development. And uh, I said, the, I do a lot of interviews like we're doing today. And I said, the hardest question I get is, what are you? do you do, Augie, for personal development? And I said, the reason why that's a difficult question is because it's a loaded question, because there's an assumption built into it. The assumption is that you go over here and you do personal development, you learn Chinese, for example, so you can go back and apply it to your business and and turn it into money. I said, that's completely ass backwards. I I said, business for me was a means of personal development. It was a way for me to see myself in action. When I was under pressure, did I think about myself? Did I pay myself, or did I pay my employees first? If you come down to it, what you know, who, where where are your priorities? Um, sales was a wonderful way for me to study human nature under pressure because when there's money on the line, people usually reveal their true self. Mm-hmm. So to me, business was a way for me to to do to as a it was a method for personal development. Not the other way around, I said. And if you turn it around the other way, then you become as bad as the real estate guy who makes makes a point of taking his family to church every Sunday because he wants everybody in the community to think he's a good guy, and therefore he can be trusted to sell. you He's trying to turn his religion into a a, a, a marketing tool. No, you know our whole and I, so i ended up coming back and i said actually i actually started it with a quote from dostoevsky which which I, I read when i was a very young man which became um i have it I, I mentioned that i have it on i've had it on every refrigerator i've owned or rented since i was 20 years old and somebody actually from a university showed up here in my house one day and we, he and I, he had asked me to go to a conference with him and he was driving me to the conference and he said but before we go i want to see your refrigerator and see if that quote's on it and it is. And the quote is from Dostoevsky, the famous Russian author. And when he was only 17 years old, uh, he wrote to his older brother and he said, Man is a mystery. If you spend your entire life trying to puzzle it out, do not say you've wasted your time. I occupy myself with that mystery because I want to be a man. You know? And we live in a society now where you know you're not allowed to say stuff like that. But to me, all I you know, another way of saying I wanted to be the best human being I could possibly be, I wanted to be a man. What does it mean to be a man? Um, um or, or or as in Hebrew you would say a mensch. Yeah. I want to be a mensch. And um And I said that, you know, noticed when I came back to the end of my article, I said, notice something about Dostoevsky. Only a couple years later, he was an overnight success with his first novel. Poor folk. I said, but did he mention anything about wanting to be an author? Did he mention anything about wanting to be a writer? Did he mention anything about wanting to be famous? About You know, none of those things. All he wanted for a lifetime of labor was to be able to look in the mirror and say, I am a man. Yes. And uh, and everything flows out of that. So everything we think of as success uh, is the byproduct. It's the trailing indicator of dedicating yourself to becoming the best human being you can possibly be. So I started with that in my Brother John article, and then I later on elaborated more in, in Business Secrets because I, I defined what is the best thing a human being can be that's selfless and my in my uh proof for the fact that we're we all think we're we mistakenly think we're yearning for selfishness but we're all truly yearning for selflessness and my proof for that is the movies and almost every darn movie you want to go to is based on what Joseph Campbell called the hero's journey.
0: Oh, come on! I talk about this all the time. Keep going. I love
1: Here it. Here we go. Here we go. So the hero's journey is 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 the motif of a. Uh, you know, I was even reading about the Godfather. You know, there's a whole bunch of people talking. It was the hero's journey. The hero's journey. Yes. And all these movies are based on the hero's journey. And the hero's journey. And we spend billions and billions of dollars to watch other people take the hero's journey. Yes. You know, when I was in business, and I'm sure it's still there, we had a thing called dollar votes. Don't do surveys and ask people what they care about or would you buy this or buy that. Offer them something to buy and see if they'll spend their money on it. Because what people really care about are the things they'll spend their money on we can say anything you know yeah. i remember a lot years ago there was a commercial and a, or a cartoon or i don't know, it was a comic and a woman was like this wow world peace new rollerblades world peace new roller band roller baits <laughs> yeah that's human nature right there <laughs> that's human nature right there so um so the hero's journey i said so when you watch what people are spending their money on Either whether it's books, magazines, articles, and newspaper, um, book, uh, movies, we want to watch other people take the hero's journey. And that tells me, if we're willing to put our money where our mouth is to do that, we all want to take the hero's journey. So what is the hero's journey? The hero's journey starts with the call. You know, the burning bush calls to Moses in the desert and says, you know, um, and that's the first. That's the vocation. It be, we call that vocation. The second is always the resistance to the call. In the in the Bible, um, Moses says, "Oh, I can't go. You know, I'm not the right guy." You got Abraham somewhere. too. It, it, always. It's 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 the hero's journey. So in in the movies, what is it? It's always. Uh, uh, this is my movie. I'm going to do one of these days and and, because it's the same movie it has been done a million times and it's always successful. And it's going to start with a dusty road with a car coming down the dusty road to a finds this old house out in the middle of nowhere. And then this spiffy major is going to get out of the car, you know, and all of a sudden Clint Eastwood or somebody like him is going to come out on the porch and he's half drunk And the meeting. What do you want? What do you want? You know, and the major says, Sir. You got to come back into the army, you or the air force or whatever, because only you can stop the. You know, the, you know. That's the call. And then what's what's in the beginning of the movie? All these movies. What is the Clint Eastwood guy? Get the hell out of here! I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't come back there for all the tea in China. The way you treated me when I, you know. And then of course he ends up talking to his wife or his brother or some some guy that got killed in the war, and he comes around, and he decides to accept the journey and then the next thing that happens is the desert and moses has got to go into the and what happens in the desert that's where the training happens that's where the formation happens that's where yoda stands over you and screams don't try do
0: that's where where, this is where mickey yells at rocky
1: right this is where morpheus uh, you know kicks uh neo's butt in the matrix over and over again he gets his butt kicked in you know in in groundhog day this is where bill murray's character gets his face slapped a million times um and this is the formation that finally the hero emerges up uh, powerful and then he hits the great trial now that he's got all this power is he going to use it for good or is he going to be seduced like Darth Vader was to the dark side? Michael Corleone in The Godfather goes to the dark side. So then the hero's got to go, assuming he he doesn't go to the dark side, he has the death and rebirth experience. And that's done the best in, to me in The Matrix, where, where um, he's getting he's dying, literally dying, because Agent Smith is kicking his butt, and he's dying. And he's connected, though, by a phone line back to reality, is to the woman who loves him and her name happens to be drum roll please trinity god the father son and holy ghost so she is the personification of sophia wisdom you know from the enlightenment, bible enlightenment yes enlightenment and she is connected by a phone line from heaven back to earth where he is and she sends love over the phone and what is love it's grace and what does grace do brings him back to life but now he's no longer relying on his own power he's relying on the power of love so now he kicks now he kills
0: uh, agent smith that that's when everything slows down for him all of a sudden it's like he's looking at it and it's not even a fight is that right Exactly. exactly,
1: And it's, and it's done a million times, you know, you see it in, in the devil wears Prada at the end of that, where she gives away her clothes and she, this is the, this is the um thing. And then finally the last stage of the hero's journey is the return to help other people, but you can compress it even further down. It's a transform, a transformational journey from selfishness to selflessness. Mm. And the person at the end who's returning to help others is selfless and that's how um, um, Bill Murray finally breaks the spell in Groundhog Day. He finally starts helping other people and stops thinking about himself and and in love, you know, that's when the woman falls in love with him because of that and that breaks the spell. It's the it's the same as The Matrix. She could have been named Trinity. Uh it's the same thing over and over again. And so what I like to say to people is we're all longing for a transformational experience. I spent so much time in my with sales trying to motivate people. Thinking, what do people really want? And I finally realized that what they want is a transformational experience. All motivation can be explained as longing for transformation. Every acorn longs to become an oak. Every caterpillar longs to become a butterfly. You can't teach a caterpillar how to become a butterfly. You can't teach an acorn. They have to become it. And Lewis R. Mobley, the IBM executive, used to say: you can't teach leadership. You have to help people become leaders. Mm. And, and so we're all longing for transformation, but there's three kinds of transformation. When a thirsty man drinks, he transforms his condition when a poor man hits the lottery, he transforms his circumstances. But when Mr. Scrooge, we're at Christmas time here, so when Mr. Scrooge wakes up on Christmas morning, an utterly new man, he has experienced a transformation of being. And the hero's journey is a journey of a transformation of being from selfishness, the selfish son of a brick that Mr. Magoo is, the, or Mr. Scrooge is in the beginning. He goes through this transformational journey, and at the end, he ends up a loving, caring, selfless person. And that book that's, that Charles Dickens wrote 200 years ago, everybody knows about it because it's so close to our own hearts. All of this stuff tells me we Dying to take the transformational journey ourselves, but very few people realize it. And what happens is they mistake a transformation of condition, which is sex, drugs, rock and roll, you know, um, you know, um, you know, all those things. That's a temporary transformation of condition or a transformation of circumstances. If I get money, if I got power, then I'd be happy. Um, no. There's nothing wrong with the transformation of condition. If you're hungry, you need to eat. If you're thirsty, drink. There's not, nothing wrong with a little bit of power or a little bit of money. But if you think that's, the, that's what you're really looking for in life, you're dead wrong. Because what you're really looking for is that transformation of being. And this is why, I don't know whether you've ever experienced it, but I remember when I first saw the, Rocky, the first Rocky movie, I mean, I was so super pumped. And when I came out and got into the car, I was let down. I just had this letdown. And um and I think that in retrospect, I have a lot I've had letdowns like that uh, uh, after a certain movie, and I thought, wait a second, I know why. Because watching somebody else make the journey isn't taking the journey myself. Oh,
0: yeah, right.
1: You can't pay somebody else to lift weights for you and build your muscles. You gotta. You got to knuckle down and do the, do the stuff yourself. So anyway, I've been blabbing on and on and oh, on here.
0: It's great. That's why I'm, it's the easiest interview I think I've ever done, but you can just <laughs> keep going. Uh, but it, I'm you're so... so spot on with the hero's journey. I absolutely, uh, adore that aspect of storytelling simply because like you said, we are drawn to it because deep inside God put something in us to make sure we live that and we're drawn to it simply because, um, we we are inspired by it, we, we we respect it, right? And if you look at all the superhero movies, the su- we all want to be the superhero, right? But if you watch them, 80% of the time, they're getting their ass kicked. It takes that little bit at the end for them to win. And that is our life in a nutshell, where if you really want this uphill battle to obtain the, the reward, the sword, to become the best self that you could possibly imagine, you are going to get beat down and you're going to lose. Man, I'll of tell the time. you what,
1: this is the best interview I've ever had. I mean, I wrote an article for Forbes called coachability or, um, the five, uh, are you coachable? The five steps to coachability and you can find it for free on Forbes, read it. And, um, and that's what I said. I said, um, you know, most people are not coachable, um uh, because they're not willing, uh, they want it to be easy they want it to be natural it's not natural it's 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 unnatural you know you don't lift weight you know you you, uh if you lift weights your your muscles are going to get sore you've got to realize that when you go to the desert you know there's a reason why every single one of these movies um yoda is kicking somebody's butt The, the karate kid wax on wax off wax on wax off you know i never saw the movie but understanding kill bill or something she's got to keep beating her hand against some wood until she finally breaks it i mean uh, neo neo and the um and morpheus you know what you know they he morpheus just keeps kicking his butt and then he has him dive off that um he, he um teaches him to fly but he face plants and of course i say the secret to all these movies I wrote, I wrote about this in business secrets of the trap as one. Well. I said, they only have, it's the, it's the law of three. The hero tries something three times and does two face plants. And then the third time he's successful. And usually in, in, in order to show the desert stage of the of the hero's journey, you have to, they come up with a montage. So in, um, uh, because it's boring because it goes on for years, getting your butt kicked for years. And, in uh, in, in, in the, um, Groundhog Day. You have this montage of him getting his face slapped, boom, 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 and the, <clears throat> the Devil wears Prada. Um, Meryl Street's character keeps coming in and throwing her, throwing her coat on the on, on uh, what's her name's, uh, you know, and what's her name's uh, desk every morning, and they do it in a montage and they compress it to give you the idea that time is passing by and this person's getting their butt kicked again and again, and we love it. We love it. But as somebody who's done a lot of coaching and a lot of teaching and stuff, as soon as, you know, as soon as you, uh, most Americans, as soon as it gets a little bit, oh, you're not nice, you're not fair, you're, you know, you hurt people's feelings, you know. It's like an old, another spiritual teacher that I respected said one time at a lecture, he said, he said, I'm very controversial. He said, "Um, I have this terrible habit, a habit of telling people the truth. (laughs) Yeah,
0: you know, it's a down, a downfall for a lot of people, right? Yeah. Telling yeah. people the truth. You wake people up. You are in like the allegory of the cave. Have you read that book at all? Yeah, oh, my allegory. God. Yeah. Oh, yes, of course. That is the genesis of the Matrix, right? So that's where they got it from.
1: Well, that's that's one of the places they got it. They also got it from Eastern religion um, with the whole idea that the world is Maya um and all that stuff so they got got it from there so and they also got it of course from the idea of virtual realities and stuff yeah but you're but you're right and they you know it was it was very very creative they they mashed they mashed all this stuff up together and of course there's a lot of christian christian symbolism in it as, oh, we, as we talked about too so they threw that all all together but you're absolutely right that's uh and that's what people do not i started out my article and. um uh, For uh, about about coaching about when I, I my golf game was a disaster, and I was it was so bad I had the shanks by the way I don't know if you know what that is but I had the oh, shanks yeah. really bad, and I was either going to give the game up or I had to get lessons. So I found this guy that was fresh off the uh, off the off <laughs> the PGA tour, uh, and he said, "Augie," um, he said, "our goal here is to give you a smooth, repeatable, effortless, low energy." athletic golf swing. And I thought, wow, sign me up. I said, and then I ended up losing 20 pounds taking golf lessons. The guy worked blisters on top of blisters on top of blisters. He worked me so hard, you know, to, and I said, but one day he finally said to me, he said, Augie, uh, was the first unprofessional thing, you know, on sort of kind of personal thing he ever said to me was, I like working with you. He said, "Everything I ask you to do, you give me one hundred and twenty percent. You wouldn't believe how many people spend hundred dollars to give me hundred and fifty dollars for a lesson only to argue with me the whole time <laughs> he, he said he said uh he said, they don't want to be they'd rather be right than good and I, and that's what I said. I said, find yourself a teacher, and then for God's sake, shut your damn mouth and do what the teacher says." I said, everybody's worried about the, having the wrong teacher. I said, bullcrap. You know, it's. I wrote an article for Forbes too about how to become a great follower. If you want to be a great leader, you have to first master how to be a great follower. And the same time, you know, people ask me, you know, how do you know? Do I know the that this is, that I have the right teacher? I said, How does he know he's got the right student? Why don't you concentrate more on making sure that you're the right student? Mm than worrying about whether you've got the, the right teacher who who got, who died and made you the most important person in the universe um so humility is uh i got to tell you a real quick a real quick story though i i was giving my zip first zen teacher by the way this guy west virginia hillbilly you're from pittsburgh he was from wheeling and uh crazy uh, crazy uh wild man and he was very, very confrontational and very, very. He was a nice guy and very humorous and everything. But he was, he always told it like it is, and it was, could be painful a, a lot of times. So anyway, I give a talk called Five Years with a Zen Master, which is all these stories. By the way, all a lot of them are in my new book, Not Less Than Everything. And I gave the talk one time, and this young man walked, it was a university, so a young um, man, he was probably 22, walked up afterwards, and he said, I really liked your talk. He said, you know, when I I was 9 or 10 years old, he said, I got into a keto, and it became the only thing I cared about. He said, as I did everything, when I graduated from high school, he said... All I cared about was Aikido, so I'd heard know that Japan was the greatest Aikido place. So I went to Japan and got off the one-way ticket to Tokyo, got off the t- uh, plane, and hit all the dojos in, in Tokyo. And, and almost every one of them I went to said, if you really want to find the greatest teacher, he's all the way up in this monastery up in the northern part of Japan. So I, t- I hitchhiked all the way up there. It's like this is like this is a classic, you know, Joseph Campbell <laughs> story. So he hitchhikes all the way up to northern Japan, and he comes to the monastery and he pounds on the door. And guess what? They said, "Go away." So he comes back the next day, and they go away, go away, go away, go away. So finally, in, I don't know, two weeks or something goes by. and He keeps coming back. So finally, um, they say, "Okay, you get to see the master." So they drag him in, and he goes to see the master, and the master says, "You're not worthy to be my student, but you have shown some, uh, you know." determination here. So guess what? You can basically be the monastery's janitor. And so he became, he said, all he did was serve the students and the master food, um, you know, to work in the kitchen. do all. And he said the hardest job he had was the monastery had no toilets. So his job was to go every day into the rooms of all the teach students and they'd have a bucket that they'd urinate and defecate in. And he had to clean those buckets out. That was his job. And he said, meanwhile, the whole time the master made fun of him and he would be trying to uh, he would stick his foot out and try to trip him. He'd bend down with the rice and he said the master would shove his face into the rice bowl. And he said, after two or three months of this, he said, the master called him in one day and said, okay, from now, you know, you're going to be in room number 16. You're going to be one of my students now. And this guy's name was Josh Lerner. I remember the kid's name. And he said, Augie, you know what? And I said, yeah, I know exactly what. And that caught him off guard because he thought it was rhetorical. You know what? I said, yeah, I know what. So he looked at me and I said, you got more out of the three months of getting your ass kicked than you got out of all the time of being his his student. And he said, wow, how'd you know that? I said, because I lived it. (laughs) I lived it. I said. He said, "Yeah, he was the greatest master. That everything they said about him was true. He's the greatest Aikido master in the world." But I got more out of those three months of cleaning toilets than I did. I go. People don't understand. I go to this Trappist monastery down in South Carolina, and that's what when I go down there, they put me to work. And that's what I do. I do all the most menial work they can do. I mop floors. I, I clean toilets. I, 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 I do work in the church. You know, I, uh, I work in the monastery's business. You know, why are you doing that? Why, you know, who would have ever known, uh, you know, I, I consider it a
0: privilege that those men let me clean their toilets. Oh. Is, it's pretty much in alignment with the phrase, in order to be the master, you must first play the fool. Right or in order to become the master, you must first become the servant. And exactly. That, that's exactly. A, that's a piece of advice that you could take anywhere and everywhere.
1: I, exactly. You must. You know. You have to be a great follower in order to be. You know. To learn how to be a great follower before you can be a great leader, and nobody wants to be a follower. You know. Nobody wants. We're we're a nation or a, a society or a civilization of narcissists we 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 don't want to pay our dues we want to go right to the um i go to a personal train personal trainer every morning and he's a oh wow, man he's a real hard ass former golden gloves boxer i mean he's got all these signs that hang around his gym that says uh um you know shut up nobody cares uh, you know and and uh, uh winners train users complain but he's got this daughter and, she, and you know, he says She's spoiled right, You know, and he said I don't know what I'm going to do with her. And he said that um, she's she lost her scholarship at her school. She's in college. She lost her scholarship. Why? Because she's decided to go with her friends for two weeks to the Caribbean and didn't go to her school job that they had a plus side. She had to have a side job to contribute part of her money, so she didn't go to the job for two weeks. And then she was really, really angry. Because she works at this company or I don't know, maybe it's the bookstore or whatever the heck it was. And so she, when she got back, she wanted them to give her enough hours right away to make up for the, all the hours she missed, which would have meant she'd have had to work you know, 12-hour days or something. And they said, no, we don't have room. And she was angry. Why wouldn't they give me the hours? And my, then my trainer said, I told her, her name's Grace. He said, Grace, you're the employee. You don't own the business. You can't dictate to them what hours you're gonna work. I mean, this is our country. This is our whole civilization. Yeah, I'm right. And this is why spiritual uh spiritual work is uh um, you know, so there's so many con artists out there in the spiritual, you know. It's you know, it's the equivalent of eat anything you want and still lose weight spirituality. Just just say your mantra. Or, or you know um and i have my own issues with what's the big thing now mindfulness just be mindful just be mindful no you you know you got to put the work in you've got to you know it is a, it is a becoming process it's a aristotle said we are what we repeatedly do excellence is not a choice it's a habit you have to work at it and work at it and work at it, and you have to put up with all these people that don't understand what the hell you're doing, because you're helping college students who don't seem to be who, who, who for nothing, or you're doing things that other. Um, I tell a story in my first book, Business Secrets, where um, I was down here in, in Raleigh, and I got a call from an old friend of mine, and he said, "Augie, I'm really excited because." Um, I got $150 million to take United Press International out of bankruptcy. I'm going to be the CEO. And he said, I want you to be my number two man. I want you to be the executive vice president. This was back in the late 80s. And he said, um, and I'm going to pay you a obscene amount of money, you know, the company car, there's going to be a company jet, all this kind of stuff, you know. And he said, there's only one thing. He says, you have to move to Washington, D.C. And I said, Joe, I can't move to Washington, D.C. And he said, Why? I said because I just promised four college kids at North Carolina State University that I will come over on Thursday nights and coach you on spirituality for free. I said hey, start a student club on campus. If you start a student club, they'll give you a room. If you have a room, then I'll come over and I'll and I'll I'll be the facilitator basically. He said you need to tell me you're gonna pass. You know, he says you're gonna pass up. Uh, I'm putting the band together. He managed all my friends that are gonna be working, with. I said, he said, I said, I got a better idea, Joe. I said, why don't you move UPI to Raleigh, North Carolina? And he he laughed and he said, My wife Molly, and I knew Molly well. He said, Molly would never go for that. I he oh, he said, Why don't you do what you do up in, uh, in DC? He said, What well, if you care about these kids, you know, we got all these universities up here. I said, Why don't you move down in here? He said, Molly wouldn't go for it. I said, well, there's a lot of women down here. If my if my kids are interchange <laughs> if my kids are interchangeable with kids in Washington, why, why isn't your wife interchangeable with some woman down here? So I turned that job down. I Jared turned down the, the quote job of a lifetime for four college kids who I knew would probably get bored in about three weeks, and you know that'd be the end of it. Why? Two reasons. One, my first teacher told me his name was Richard Rose, by the way, from Wheeling, West Virginia, and he said. First of all, a man's word is his bond. If you give your word, you die rather than break your word. Mm. He said number, you know, and he's not, you know, probably number two is more important than number one. Your spiritual life must be your top priority. Love it. It's got to be your number one priority. And that is the most difficult part of an authentic spiritual path, is making it your number one priority. And so, to me, those four college students, and then completely, UPI ended up going on um, bankrupt. Um, My friend Joe, um, you know, lost lost his job. He ends up going personally bankrupt. I ended up starting, because I didn't want to move, couldn't move, I ended up starting a company on $2,500. Seven years later, we sold it for millions of dollars. Uh, Three or five years after that. I sold it to an Israeli company uh, two companies. We ended up with two software companies that we built from scratch with no, no extra cash, no
0: borrowed money, Love it. Bootstrapped no strapped all the way. My
1: strapped internally generated cash. You sound like a man who knows what internally generated cash is. Oh,
0: absolutely. It self-sufficient that way. I like it. Uh,
1: we never borrowed a dime. They're not, zombie. Took...
0: They're not zombie companies. You know what? Exactly. Are.
1: And, you know, and and I didn't take, we didn't take any loans and we didn't take any investors on and we built it up and we sold these two companies to an Israeli company called Mutech, which changed the name to Identify in 2000. And then five years later, uh, the the, um, combined companies uh, were sold to um, BMC for $150 million in cash. So guess what? The bestest thing I ever did was turn that job down at UPI. But how would I have known that then? I didn't know that then. You live, you know, my spiritual master uh, teacher used to emphasize this all the time, you know, and and it's not that hard. It may sound ambiguous, ambivalent, and vague, but it is anything but. Live the life. You must live the life. It isn't your meditation technique. It isn't whether you eat brown rice or not on Thursdays. It isn't that that retreat that you go on every three years for two for two days. Um, it's not whether you got the special mantra that somebody gave you. No. Every single day of your life, you live the life. And you put your priorities in the right order. And when the bull crap hits the fan, you stick to your guns.
0: Yes, it's like you know it's like the movie Sen of a woman, you're familiar with that, oh, right? yeah, yeah, where an amputated soul is the biggest um biggest failure, right, or it's the biggest uh issue. there is no prosthetic for that. all of the money and cars and all that stuff I've realized, right it, it It's a byproduct of looking in the mirror and being proud of who you are in the journey that you're on. And an individual who's my mentor told me a long time ago, when you buy that dream car, the car is not the goal. The car is the reward for obtaining the goal. And that goal should be being proud of who you are and attracting enough energy slash money from others. There's enough trust out there that they believe in you. And once that hit, I'm like, oh, everything that I've ever wanted is just, is a reward. But the real goal is looking in the mirror and being proud of who you see and that right. is it
1: you I mean, i'd kill you one better because i think you agree with this i think you just misspoke it a little bit everything you have ever wanted is the same thing as what you see in that mirror the the the, the cars and stuff like that aren't the everything that you really wanted the everything you really wanted was to be able to look in that mirror and say you know um you know, uh, you know, I've turned out the way I wanted it to, the way I dreamed, the way I always wanted to be. I'm proud of myself. You know, I ended my book, um, not less than everything because not less than everything starts off because I became inspired as a very young man. Um, you know, you have to remember the sixties and everything and psychedelics and everything, but, uh, with the idea of enlightenment, that all the world's religions have this idea that there's a thing, there's a state of consciousness or whatever you want to call it, it's called enlightenment. In Zen, it's called Satori. In Yoga, it's called Samadhi. In in, in Buddhism, it's called Nirvana. In Christian mysticism, it's called Unio Mystico. In psychology, it's called Cosmic Consciousness and somehow i th- i i just not somehow but something hit me a vocation a burning bush or whatever you want to call it that this is the answer to life this is that this that, that we're never going to solve the issues that bother us at this plane of existence as as einstein said no problem is solved at the same level of consciousness at which it is posed you cannot solve a problem at the same level of consciousness that is posed so um so i became you know, just really, really obsessed with this whole idea. Um, And this, my book, Not Less Than Everything, is all the teachers and all the places and all the things I did on this quest. And I finally achieved, you know, and then I had this cataclysmic spiritual experience in 1998, which I get into. But I said, people ask me all the time because, you know, I've won the Templeton Prize. I've sold companies. I've worked for MTV. um, I've been on the cover of magazines. What is your greatest achievement or something? That's what they think and I always say the same thing that about 10 or 12 to 12 years ago, I was going to my same gym, the YMCA that I go at that time that I went to for years every day. And this one day I went to the gym and this old man was there and he was handing out towels. And it was very unusual because they always had a pile of towels there, but no one ever handed them out. And all the years I went there, this was the only time I never saw this man again or before, by the way, he hands me a towel. And as I reach out and take it, he grabs it and he pulls me to him and he st- jumped, he screams in my face. If you could be anywhere, doing anything, where would you be doing what right now? What What you see, right? I, I said, exactly. I'd yeah. be right here. I'd be right <laughs> That's here. It. I'd be right here right now doing this. And I started down the hallway to the, to the locker room. And I started, I realized tears came to my eyes and I realized that that answer came spontaneously from the deepest part of me that, you know, um, there is, you know, I still work really hard. I'm really trying to to uh, get the word out to people. You know, I really feel like I've found the answer to life. And I, I mentioned it to you, this selflessness, this hero's journey, and I'm working hard to try to help other people see it. But as far as my own life, my own, uh, you know, I've arrived. You know, I don't, you know, if I die tomorrow, so what? <laughs> there's nothing, uh, there's not like all this sense of un, business undone. And whatever I'm doing, wherever I am, that's what I'm supposed to be doing. And that gift, if you want to call it that, is priceless. You know, far better, you know, and like you, I'm sure you and I are in the same boat because I've known a lot of celebrities and we talked about Michael Keaton, who's a friend of mine before the we started the interview and I worked for MTV and I lived in New York. And so I've known a lot of super and I went to prep school. That was another thing I learned. I won a scholarship when I was 14 years old. So I went up to Connecticut to, to the Hotchkiss school, where I went to school with kids with the last name Ford and DuPont. And, and interestingly enough, you know, the I'll tell you I, I, with the guy there, I went to school with a guy that owned the Pittsburgh post because his father owned the Pittsburgh post-gazette, the block
0: family oh man okay uh
1: yeah i was reading the post-gazette on the wall uh, at my dad i was really homesick so my dad used to send me the uh, a subscription to the post-gazette and i was a sophomore and i'm sitting on the porch of the main building reading my post-gazette and this little dweeby kid walks up and he says you're reading the post-gazette and i said yeah i said i'm from pittsburgh and he said uh, my dad owns that <laughs> oh, <man. laughs>
0: uh,
1: anyway um the, uh, the block family still owns it, but anyway, uh, and I, so I've, I've known a lot of very, very wealthy, super successful people, but they are no more happy than, you know, how many people have I known from Darien, Connecticut and Fairfield and, and Greenwich and places like that who had, who had, uh, play tennis courts in their backyard next to the swimming pool while they were in the kitchen drinking all day long. I yep. mean. Uh, uh, you know, so the 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 trap, these trappings of success, um, you know, it's a truism, but they don't bring happiness. It is just what you were talking about. Can you look in that mirror and say, wait, you know, you know, um, you know? I remember I was at the monastery one time, and I was overhearing a, a, one of my students talking to one of the priests down there. It wasn't private; I was just sitting there listening to them talk, and he got very, very emotional. And he said, You know, Father, what I really, really want the most out of life, he said, I want what Jesus got when that voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well
0: pleased. That's it. That's it. If there's one vision that I want, and it's pretty much the pursuit of everything now, is that whenever I pass on and I go to heaven and I see God and Jesus, That they say that, that they are pleased with my journey, with who I became. And that is it, right? And as long as that answer is, yes, I am on the path to making that a possibility or a reality, that is the answer. I agree Uh, wholeheartedly with that.
1: Absolutely. And so I ended up in my article about personal development. I said, so what is what do I do for personal? I said, my whole life is personal development. I mean, every every that's the that's the the you know that's a cliche we talk about The lens. The lens that I have always looked at my whole life with was personal development. When I went back to Pitt, for example, to graduate, I already had finished my major. So I had the option of just taking thirty I needed thirty credits of the easiest courses I could take. I took thirty credits of the hardest courses I could take. Because I hated math in high school and I was bad at it. And so I took a lot of math courses. I took logic. I took symbolic logic. I took linguistics. I know I took the stuff that I that, that, that I thought was going to force me to think in different ways that I wasn't comfortable. You know, Nietzsche said to make people uncomfortable, that is my task. Oh. And meanwhile, we have all these university students running around saying they want to ban people that make them uncomfortable. No seek out discomfort look for those situations where you're going to be uncomfortable and so I spent a whole year at university graduating from the university of Pittsburgh taking these really 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 hard courses and proving to myself in the meantime that although I don't have a natural talent for mathematics or things like that hard work could overcome my lack of honor I got a's in all these courses because I busted it I just busted it you know, and I remember, I'll i never forget sitting next to, cause I was taking some math classes with kids that were, I was now 27 years old or whatever. And I'm taking math classes with kids that are 18, 19 years old. And there was this girl that would sit next to me in one of these math classes and she's chewing gum. She always was chewing gum. And I looked over and I thought to myself, that girl's a dingbat, you know, and she never did her homework, but she got straight A's. <laughs> and I thought, I thought, okay, I don't have any natural talent for math, and I have to work five hours a night on these, <laughs> damn math. But damn it, I got the A2. And that really, really helped me later on because I really, really always felt that if all else fails, I can fall back on hard work. That's it. You know? Right. And, it's- and if you have that and determine you know, what did Einstein said? He said, Einstein said, people think, I'm so much smarter than everybody else. He said it's not true. He said, My secret is I have the ability to stay with problems longer. Determination, determination, commitment, being able to make a commitment
0: and step to it. Success, I, I think it was him is going from failure to failure without any loss of enthusiasm. I believe he said that wow,
1: I've never heard that one, so I like that one. <laughs> I love a,
0: it yeah, I go from failure to failure, you know without, without any loss of enthusiasm without
1: any loss of enthusiasm just keep you know just keep plugging away um but
0: uh august i we I have the meeting at one fifteen, so I got to wrap things up, however, oh. guys. Man, we could talk for hours. I want to have you back, um, to talk about your other books. We can do this for for seriously way longer. And uh, I want to just do a couple quotes here. When it comes to spirituality in life, Turek is as authentic as it gets. Wonderful read by Michael Keaton. Now, Michael Keaton is a Pittsburgh guy. Um, you know, born and raised here. I guess you get. I think he was. For, you said from Robinson. Well, I mean, he's
1: from Robinson Township, yeah.
0: And you were friends with him. You still are. It's amazing that you have him giving you a quote. So uh, guys, check out his book, Not Less Than Everything, One Man's Quest for Spiritual Enlightenment. Enlightenment. And just a quick little read here, Not Less Than Everything, One Man's Quest for Spiritual Enlightenment is the, is the inspirational true story of how author August Turek overcame depression and meaningless despair through a daring quest for life's ultimate meaning and purpose, a search for transcendence. So last question I have for you, outside of your own book, is there one that you recommend for our listeners and viewers?
1: Um, you know, oh, there's a lot, there's a lot of them, you know. Um, I I would say that if you're interested in, you know, uh, in just a spiritual quest, I would suggest a, a book like The Razor's Edge or Siddhartha by Herman Hess. Wow. But if you're really interested in what life's, you know, I would also recommend a book called The Denial of Death. Uh, it's a Pulitzer Prize winning, uh, book called The Denial of Death which I think really gets into the psychology of of uh, what's really going on with people. So I would recommend those books. Great, man.
0: Yeah, when it comes to spirituality, I think that that was my key to success. I felt a connection when I went to a non-denominational Christian church right around 2017, and you tied it very much uh, together that that I experienced where the moment I stopped thinking about my needs and as Jim Rohn says, provided the world with my seeds rather than my needs, that's when everything started to fall into place. I forgot about my own problems and I figured out how can I serve those around me? The moment that happened, money came, spirituality was intact, my identity was created and life got so much more fun. So stop thinking about your own problems, start thinking about other people's problems and solving them and watch what happens. August. Direct?
1: A- absolutely. Thank you very much. I'd love to come back. It has been so much fun talking to you,
0: man. We could do this for a long time. So I let's know make we sure we do this, uh, and talk next about time I'm in folks. the burg,
1: We got to, we'll get together, man. Yeah.
0: <laughs> First off, go pens. You're in your <laughs> North Carolina guy, but, <laughs> yeah. uh, Carolina hurricanes. However, deep inside of you, there's still the penguins. Love, oh, right? I love the penguins. We watch the penguins. Uh,
1: if the Carolina's our number one, uh, Carolina hurricanes, we've kind of, my brother's got season tickets to that, but we're also the, the penguins. Uh, big Penguins fans. You know, I don't know what's this is their last hurrah. If They don't do it this year. They're getting too old and the long of the tooth. I don't know what Sullivan's job's on the line, too.
0: Yeah, there's no doubt. I think they're getting old, but uh, they got one last chance, I'm thinking. Anyways, guys, they're the Steelers. Let's
1: website... talk about the Steelers, too. No, the Steelers.
0: <laughs> we could talk for hours on that one, too. Yeah. Guys, go to the website augustturack.com. You'll be able to see everything that he offers or go to Amazon, pick up one of his three books. And uh thank you so much August. Really thank you very it. much. Bye bye. Remember guys, a million dollar book will lead to a million dollar life. Right on.